Thanks, guys. Good morning, everybody. Glad you guys are here today. We're going to get to Luke chapter 15 in just a bit. If you've got your Bible, your Bible app, open up to Luke, the 15th chapter. Uh, we're going to continue with more uh, worship and a couple songs in communion at the end of the service today, and, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we're also going to take the offer right now because of that. So the ushers are going to come, guys, come on with the buckets, and let's start. If this is your church, we encourage you to give as an act of worship. If you're a guest today, uh, don't feel obligated to give by any means. But, you know, what we just did with our songs was an act of worship to God. And Old and New Testament, throughout the entire Bible, you find that people who gave sacrificially God, that they did so as an act of worship. And so that's why we do this, and I just want to encourage you to uh, do it with worship in your heart. I also want to thank you. Uh, your gifts have made uh, what we're doing in the lobby, the gift uh, that we've been raising for, I don't know, about six or seven months now. That, that money has allowed us to put carpet in Adventureland classrooms, to finish some things back, to make some tech improvements here. Uh, you notice that we've got about two-thirds of the floors almost down out in the lobby. And the next week or so, there's another classroom, a wall that's being put up to create a classroom in the east end. People say, why do we need more rooms in this place? Trust me, especially on Wednesday night. Uh, we've got Awana and youth, and we do classes, and there's a whole bunch of things happening. So that room's going to be used throughout the week. But here's a, another little piece of insight for you. Uh, we're starting something as soon as that room is done, so it'll be a couple of weeks. But uh, for lack of a better cool name right now, we're calling it Family Church. So during the services, both services on Sunday morning, uh, we'll have a projection TV in that room up on the wall. And if you've got your family with you, if you've got kids and you're not, for whatever reason, comfortable, put them in Adventureland yet. Or maybe you just like to go to church with your kids, with your family. That room will be set up. And everybody that's in that room, it's called Family Church. They'll know there are going to be kids in here. There'll be rattles. There'll be, you know, the little squawking noises made and occasional whatever movement. Uh, but that room is set up to be Family Church. And that's something we'll do during our Sunday morning services. So excited about that. But I want to say thank you. Thanks for making that all possible. Last week we started, it was really the introduction to this 50 Days of Transformation, this new series we're in that officially launches today, the seven weeks. And I encouraged you last week to set some goals. And I know, I heard from a couple of you that you never thought about goals being a spiritual discipline before. And what I said to you, I stand by, is that God wants us to, in Him, through Him, in prayer, uh, to set spiritual goals for our lives. And that if you do that, you can and will experience transformation. This series is all about transformation. Our key verse, our theme verse for the entire series is taken from Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't be conformed, don't be molded into the culture, the world around us, the Bible says, but instead be transformed by renewing of our minds, be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in and through you. And I said last week that when you change the way you think, you change the way you live. And that's a basic truth. I mean, even non-Christians would admit that. Psychologists, you know, secular psychologists would say, yeah, change the way you think, change the way you live. But it's a spiritual truth as well. If we change what's here in our minds, it changes what comes out of our mouth, and it changes the way we live. And as a man thinks, Proverbs says, so is he. As a woman thinks, so are you. It's, it affects what you do. And so I want to encourage you to, to, God's word says he does not want you to be a conformist. In fact, he wants you to be a non-conformist and instead to be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in and through your lives, this renewing of the Holy Spirit. So each week, over the next uh, six weeks, starting today, seven weeks, we'll be taking a look at seven different key areas of your life that God wants to bring transformation to. And today, we're talking about spiritual health. Uh, for most of you in the church, uh, I also want to encourage you to do some other things that will help you. You'll get far more out of this if you'll do these things. One is get involved in a transformed life group. 
We've got a bunch of them. You've got a brochure in your bulletin. I know the excuse. Well, I don't know anybody. I'm not sure I, you know, I don't know any of those people. Hey, there's one way to step out and to take a risk, which we talked about last week, is to just find a home group, a life group, a transformed life group in your area. Uh, my wife and I live in Ponderosa. We're going to one of Ponderosa. Find one in your area and get involved. Get plugged in. You will not regret it. Because in the life groups, there's a DVD that'll help you go a little deeper into each of these areas that we're talking about. I'm gonna unpack one big idea every Sunday morning. If you wanna go deeper, you wanna know more, and you wanna make relationships, and I love what Matt said a few weeks ago, I quote him, our willingness to grow closer to others reflects our willingness to grow closer to God. It's a great quote, absolutely true. You wanna go closer to God, then grow closer to other people as well. So again, Sundays will unpack one big idea. Life Groups is a way for you to go deeper and to build some relationships with others. A couple other things I wanna encourage you to do. If you've got the devotional, uh, the Transform book, there's 50 devotions in that book. Some say, well, I started already. I don't care, you can start last week and start today. But there are 50 different devotionals in that book, and if you didn't get one, go to our website, eastpointchurch.com or Oregon. You can find a link there, order the book, and you can get caught up. But there's 50 different devotionals in that that you will get so much more, they're short. It'll take you literally five minutes to read that and to make some, some reflections, to jot down some notes, what God says to you. But do that each morning or each night whenever you do your devotions, your quiet time, you'll get so much more out of this. And then the other thing we're asking you to do is to memorize a scripture verse each week. And from the Adventureland, the kids, to Epic Junior, to Epic Youth Ministry, and here as well, uh, I'm encouraging you to memorize a scripture verse. And why? Well, because, again, you get it in your head, you get it in your, your life. The more you memorize, the more you saturate yourself with truth, the more it's gonna impact the, what you, the way you actually live. And today's uh, memory verse, this week's memory verse is found in 2 Corinthians 5.17, and I don't care whether you memorize it in the NIV or the NLT or the Old King Jimmy, but the NLT says this, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Anyone who says yes to Jesus, who surrenders their life to him, who follows him, who believes in him, who, who belongs to Christ, the Bible says you become a brand new person on the inside. There's this transformation that, that takes place that you become his child that instant, that moment you say yes to him. But that's the beginning for you of this journey. We say it all the time. It's not the end. It's not the finish line. It's the beginning of this journey with Jesus. Because every child in a natural family is birthed, born, or brought into a family, and then they have to grow and develop. You all know that no kid's born fully mature. It doesn't happen. Have you ever raised or been around a two-year-old before? You have to walk with them and work with them and you have to discipline and train them and instruct them. And it's true in a family, in a natural family, it's absolutely true in the family of God. We become his kids, we become his. We are his child and yet we're babes, we're new and we've gotta grow. And we've gotta grow by practicing spiritual disciplines and a spiritual way of life that now is consistent with our identity. We are perfect in our relationship with him, but imperfect in our practice. And so because of who we are, because of the new identity I have, as a, I'm a new person in him. Now I need to walk that out, work that in my relationship with God and in my practice. Uh, most of you know I've got a couple of adopted grandchildren, and one of them is Abigail. She was in the first service, and she might make her way to the end of the last service. Uh, but anyhow, Abigail's two. She's in that terrific twos. Anybody, again, been through the terrific twos with a child? And one of the things that you work on with two-year-old often is about the time they're learning to be, and I don't mean to talk about this in church that much, but potty train. It's an important part of growing up. You want them to, at some point, get out of their diaper, out of their pull-up, and, and to actually do their business where they should do their business. 
Now, Abigail, though she's adopted, I guarantee you she's a thousand percent absolutely part of our family. By the way, just like when we, the Bible says we're adopted into God's family. We're adopted into his family. She's a part of our family. She is my granddaughter. But she is learning, and she's learning how to be potty trained. And she understands that this is something that's important, especially to her mom and dad. It's important that she learns this. She has been appropriately bribed. (laughs) She's been told, do your business in the toilet, and you'll get a big girl bed, and you'll get big girl panties, which is very exciting for a two-year-old. So she's been encouraged, she's been challenged, she's been instructed, and quite often she gets it. She understands, uh, I need to use the toilet. Okay, good, good job, great. And, and in fact, she will call grandpa and grandma to tell us that she did her business on the toilet and we'll celebrate and, and dance and yell and scream you know, on FaceTime with her because how exciting that is. She gets how big a deal this is. But sometimes she would rather not do that for some crazy reason and so she makes a mess in her pants. Now you're thinking, what does this have to do with me? (laughs) If you're a Christ follower, if you've made a decision to become God's child, you are his. You belong to the family. You're his child, period, end of story. You belong to him. But just like Abigail, we have to grow. We have to learn. We have to develop in our relationship with him. And sometimes we still make a mess. Sometimes we still make a mess. We either choose to or we just blow it or we get sucked into things and we've got to grow, continue to grow. So here's the important lesson we need to learn. In fact, it's the big idea today. It's in the backside of your bulletin if you want to take notes. The outline says this. The big idea, the further away you get from God, the more your life is troubled, but the closer you get to God, the more your life is transformed. It's just a basic, simple truth. The further away you get from God, the more you reject God, reject his disciplines, reject his plan, reject his way of life, reject his truth, reject him, then the more mess you're gonna create and it's not gonna be pretty. But the closer you get to God, the more your life will be transformed. Because here's a reality, listen to me, we all fail. I don't know what you've been taught other places or by other pastors, but the truth of the matter is, Even though we are perfect in our relationship, we're imperfect in our practice, and we all fail. We all make mistakes. And so we've got to learn to cooperate with God. And as we do, as we draw closer to him and say yes to him, as we grow and develop, then we're transformed from the inside out. We stop making as many messes as we used to. That's the goal. Luke 15, I had you turn there. Let's take a look at uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Parable of the lost son. In this chapter, the first two parables Jesus talks about the lost lamb, it's a great story. I think the first was the lost coin, then the lost lamb, and then this story about the prodigal son. And I wanna pick it up in verse 11. Jesus continued, he's telling another parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them, his two boys. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, he was bankrupt. There was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Not a good condition for a good Jewish boy, or in this case, a bad Jewish boy. Not a good place to be. Pigs were unclean and here he is having to feed them and take care of them. Verse 17, here's the transformation. Here's where it begins. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, verse 18, and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And by the way, the word for that is one word is repentance. He had a change of heart, a change of mindset. I'm going home. He got up and he went home to his father. But while he was still a long way off, I love this part of the story. His father saw him. The dad was looking for his boy. The father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He wasn't angry. He wasn't filled with disgust. He was filled with compassion and he ran to his boy. Verse 21, here's the prepared speech. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it's like the father said, time out, stop. He interrupted him. But he said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on my boy. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Verse 24, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I love this story. And it's my story and it's many of your stories, but it's a story we all can learn from. And there are three things that you can do when you make a mess. Whether you are not yet a Christ follower, this is how you enter into relationship with him, or if you are his child and you still blow it like I do, here's some things you need to do when you make a mess. <clears throat> Number one, come to your senses and own it if you've blown it. Come to your senses and own it if you've blown it. Verse 13, <clears throat> the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. Nice way of saying he was an idiot. He blew it. He went off and spent his wad on wild living and lost everything he had. Been there, done that. Most of you know, you've heard my story. Maybe you've read my story in Epic Grace, how in my early 20s, I went off the deep end and ran from God and squandered everything and almost ruined my marriage. I uh, was that kid. I was this guy. But what I love about this story is to his credit in verse 17, it says, when he hit bottom, he came to his senses. In a sober moment of self-reflection, he said to himself, what am I doing? Why am I here? What have I done? He came to his senses. I've got a buddy named Bud, for real. Buddy named Bud. And Bud, uh, once upon a time in his life, he had a beautiful wife, a beautiful home, a beautiful family, a, a good job. He was doing fairly well. But Bud had a drinking problem that became a serious drinking problem. And Bud became a full-on alcoholic. And on top of that, he was a womanizer. The more he drank, the more he cheated on his wife. So the, the, the bottom line is Bud lost everything. Lost his wife, lost his family, lost his home, eventually lost his job. And when he was at the bottom, I mean you could not get any lower than he was. By Bud's own testimony, when I was there and realized I'd lost everything, I came to my senses. Just like this, this kid in the story. He came to his senses. And God met him there. And now he's doing really, really well. God redeemed, restored, and renewed his life. But it didn't happen until he came to a point where he said, God, I failed. He owned it. He confessed his sin. It's been my experience, and maybe yours, that pain can be a great motivator. In fact, I think there are really only two things that motivate us consistently, pleasure on the one hand and pain on the other. We do something because we want to, we like it, it feels good, or we stop because that hurts, that really, that's not good. And self-inflicted pain can be a slap on the face at times. And when I was in my prodigal days, in my early 20s, and I came to this moment, in fact, through a friend, he was speaking to me, and in that moment, I cannot explain to you how, but I just knew in my knower, I just had this revelation, this moment where I came to my senses, and I thought to myself, I am not gonna make 30 if I keep going down this road. I just knew I literally would not survive. I would die before I hit my 30th birthday. 
the stuff I was into, the crowd I was hanging with, the lifestyle I was living, the partying, the drinking, driving my motorcycle on California freeways half the time with way too many shots of tequila. I was a mess. But I knew, I just came to this point where I realized, if I keep going down this road, I will not see my 30th birthday. And I came to my senses. It was a wake-up call, just like this kid in the story. I wanna suggest to you that nothing of significance will happen in your life. Nothing of significant transformation will take place until you get fed up, dissatisfied, and you see the mess that you're in. There has to come this point where we just own it. Okay, man, I have really made a mess out of my life. I've made a mess out of this. Because if you think, well, I'm fine, nothing needs to change, then guess what? Nothing's gonna change. Nothing will change until you come to this moment of desperation, until you're desperate and hungry and fed up and willing to say, okay, God, I, I see the mess I'm in. I know I'm to blame. I'm gonna own this. I confess it to you. God, please help me. One of the more classical examples of this in the Old Testament, and some of you are familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. If you haven't read it, it's in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And the story is David, who was a great king and a man after God's own heart, the Bible said. Uh, David uh, wasn't doing what he should have been doing. He wasn't out to war with his men. He stood on a roof one night, saw a naked woman, Bathsheba, lusted after her, uh, committed adultery with her, and then conspired to commit murder, to kill her husband Uriah. Not one of David's better moments. Not a good thing at all. But the prophet Nathan came to him, and the story goes that Nathan came and told him a story, and David got mad, and then the prophet says, you're the guy. This is you. You're the one who's failed. And David realized he came to his senses, and he realized that he'd sinned against God. And one of my favorite psalms, and there you find many where David is confessing his sin to God, but Psalm 51, read it this week. It's a great psalm. It's David's confessing, God, I've failed, I've blown it, and, and I need you. And just the first couple of verses, let me read them to you. Psalm 51, verse one, look on me with a heart of mercy, O God. According to your generous love, according to your great compassion, wipe out my sin, wipe out the consequences, the shameful crimes. Verse two, thoroughly wash me inside and out of all my crooked deeds, cleanse me from my sins. This psalm was written from a heart that said, God, I, I get it, I've blown it, I've created this mess, and I confess it to you, and I own it. I've owned it because I've blown it. Now, by the way, how does God respond to us when we come with that heart? Well, Isaiah 1.18 gives us insight into that. The Lord says, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. What's Isaiah quoting God here? What's the point? He's saying, God's saying, just come to me. Come to me and we can settle this with grace. Doesn't matter how dark and ugly and stained and ruined and messed up your life is, come to me and I can change everything. I can change you. The first thing we've gotta do is come to our senses and own it if we've blown it. Here's the second thing we gotta do. Number two, humble ourselves. Humble yourself. This might be one of the hardest things for most of us because a lot of us, me included, are a little arrogant, cocky, and proud. We don't like admitting that we can't do it on our own, that we can't, that we can't fix things on our own. But verse 18 and 19, again, look at what the prodigal son thought. He said, I will set out and go to my father and say to him, I have sinned. An important moment in our life is when we come to our senses and we say, God, I've sinned. I've failed against, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, there's the humility. He's saying, I don't deserve to be called your son. Just make me one of your servants. 
You see this massive transformation that's taking place here in this son's life? In verse 11, he says, Dad, give me what's mine. I'm out of here. And verse 19, he's now had this complete transformation. It's 180, and he's saying, Father, forgive me. And just make me one of your servants. That's humility. That's humility. And it seems to me, I don't know, maybe I'm, you know, off here, but that humility is in short supply in our culture anymore. Have you watched the news? Have you watched debates? Have you seen what it's like where you work or where you go to school? Too many waste a lot of time blaming others. We don't like to, to so it's not my fault, it's their fault. Too many refuse to take personal responsibility. We don't want to own it. You know what, this goes all the way back, by the way, to the very beginning of, of humankind. You know, the story in Genesis of Adam and Eve. Adam, God says, what have you done? And what does Adam do? He blames the woman, there's the blame shifting, and then he blames God. God, it's the woman you gave me, the nerve. It's not my fault, I'm not responsible for this, it's your fault, God, because you gave that woman to me in the first place. Too many waste time blaming, too many waste time refusing to take personal responsibility, too many deflect. Yeah, I might have done that, but so-and-so did much worse than me. I might have failed there, but did you see what he did? Or did you see what she did? This is our culture. And by the way, remember Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this culture, to the world around you, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And trust me, transformation, deep and lasting and powerful transformation happens when we humble ourselves and have the heart of a grateful servant to God. When we just say, God, I, I don't deserve this. It's when we understand that what in fact we do deserve is God's wrath. Now listen very carefully to me. If you belong to Jesus, if you are God's child, you need never, I cannot emphasize that word enough, never fear the wrath of God. Now Hebrews 12, you, he may discipline you, he will discipline you because he loves you. But you don't ever have to fear his wrath, his anger. The story of the prodigal son, the father, it was not disgusted with his boy. He said he was filled with compassion and he ran to him. The boy made the first step, he's coming home and the father ran after him. That's God's heart for you and me. We do not have to fear his wrath. We can embrace and live in and walk in his mercy and his grace that he offers to us. But we need to understand what we do deserve. You see, I have never in my relationship with God had an entitlement mentality, never. It's, it's never something, I, well, God owes me. I've never felt like he owes me anything because I know what I deserve. I know I don't deserve the amazing wife and family that I have. I have been wrestling with some physical things the last couple of weeks, had additional stress, other things happening in my life, not as an excuse by any means, but because of that, rather than dealing with it appropriately and dealing with it in the right way and processing it in a healthy way, I've been really grumpy with my wife, and you can ask her. I've been a real butt. And I know I don't deserve her. I know I don't deserve that. I know that, that it's a blessing in my life. I know I don't deserve the honor of pastoring this church. I know I don't deserve the incredible blessings of God in my life, and I've been blessed immensely. But here's something else I know. It's the next bullet in your outline. Arrogance, pride, and denial always, always leads to more mess. Humility leads to life. If we defiantly reject God and say no and and and, and and hold on to our stuff with arrogance and pride, we always end up worse off. James 4, James says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We need to humble ourselves. And that's why I'm with David, who said in Psalm 41, another Psalm, Psalm 41, 4, have mercy on me, Lord, heal me, for I've sinned against you. Let's just own it. Let's humble ourselves. 
That's why I'm like Peter, falling at the feet of Jesus in Luke 5, 8, where Peter said, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. <laughs> Lord, I don't even deserve to be in your presence. That's why I'm like Paul, who said in 1 Timothy 1, 15, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. I'm the chiefest of sinners. I know I don't deserve what I have, and yet I'm so grateful for it. Transformation and humility are directly linked, guys. They're directly linked. To the degree that you humble yourself, you will be transformed. It's just a fact. It's just the way it is. James says God opposes the proud. He's not gonna bless you. That's not gonna be what you want, where you wanna go, but he gives grace, his favor. To the, to the degree that you humble yourself, you will be transformed. Come to your senses. Own it if you've blown it. Humble yourself. And here's the final thing, number three. I love this part. Get over it and party with the Father. <laughs> Once you've come to your senses, you've owned it, you've confessed, you've repented, you've humbled yourself, then the next thing you've, and this is where some of us missed Miss what God wants for us. Get over it and party with the Father. Now I suppose it might seem inconsistent to say get over it. Well, that doesn't seem very humble, but what I'm saying, when you understand what Jesus has done for you, then you can. And if the word party bothers you, then put some religious word in there, I don't care. Rejoice, I don't, you know, celebrate. But the fact of the matter is, make no mistake about it. You've, some people read the story, you've read a 100 times, you've missed the most important part. In this story, at the end of the story, the father's running to him, and then he grabs his son. The son goes through his rehearsal, you know, rehearsal speech. I don't deserve this. I'm a jerk. Just make me a servant. And the father says, stop it. Servant, guys, go. Let's get everything together. Put it all together. Kill the calf. Let's party. That's what he says. See, here's the point. You and I do not have to live under the guilt, the shame. We don't have to live under the weight of our guilt and our shame. We don't have to live there. In fact, God doesn't want you to. Own it, confess your sin, humble yourself, but then recognize that what you have now is an opportunity to live free and to live in joy. The son said to the father, I've sinned against you, and the father said, I know, I know, but let's feast, let's party, let's celebrate. See, in our relationship with God, our father, forgiveness is ours. Freedom from guilt and shame is where God wants you and I to live, where he wants us to, to live. 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sins, God is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all, love that word, all unrighteousness. My part's to confess, I gotta own it. And when I do, the Bible says, then God comes and he, he sets us free. He removes the, our guilt and our shame. Another Psalm of David, Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He's buried them in the deepest sea. God says, you don't have to walk under the cloud of guilt and shame anymore. Come to your senses, own it, confess it, humble yourself, and then live free. Live free. It may seem disrespectful or flippant to say it, but once you've done that, then you've got to move on and party in Jesus. Celebrate in what he's done for you. I have a very good friend who grew up in a very religious environment most of his life, uh, he was taught that he had to pay penance when he sinned, which is really, uh, by the way, not at all what the New Testament teaches. He lived a wild life. He wandered away from God and the church and went off the deep end and messed up big time, failed miserably, finally came to his senses, gave his life to Jesus, began to have a real relationship with, with Jesus. It was awesome. And he got that. He was God's child. But for the better part of 10, maybe 11 or 12 years, my friend lived under this weight of, of and struggle of feeling like he needed to pay penance. 
He was taught that you had to demonstrate true contrition by self-punishment. And so that's the way he lived. And I told him what some of you desperately need to hear today. The punishment for your sin, the punishment for your sin and mine was paid in full on the cross of Jesus. Listen, paid in full. Past, present, future, paid in full. It's covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Own it, confess it, humble yourself, and then live free. The world does not need any more sourpuss Christians. And if, you're, and if you're beating yourself up for what you did on the way to church today, maybe you flipped somebody off on the highway, maybe you had a fight with your wife, maybe you just were mean and ugly and horrible this week, stop beating yourself up. Come to your senses, own it if you've blown it, humble yourself, and then come and party. Celebrate in the fact that you are forgiven. You do not have to live under the, the cloud of guilt and shame. In fact, here's a spiritual goal. I told you each week I'm gonna give you some goals. One of them was I wanna encourage you to memorize the scripture verse. The kids are doing it, the youth's doing it, let's do it. Let's memorize the verse each week. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is this week's verse. That's one spiritual goal. Here's another spiritual goal for some of you. And some of you need to do this. You need to write this down, you need to do this because it will transform your life. Over the next 50 days, starting tomorrow morning, every morning you wake up, before your feet hit the ground, Take five seconds, take 10 seconds, and thank God that his mercies are new today. Lamentations three, read it on your own. Lamentations three, 22 and 23. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And before you get out of bed, here's the spiritual goal I want you to set for yourself. Take a moment and say, God, I know what I did yesterday, I own it. God, I'm humble, I'm so grateful for what you've given me. I know I don't deserve it, but today I'm gonna live free, I'm gonna walk and the freedom that I have because your mercies are new today. Because your mercies are new today. I don't have to live under guilt and shame. I can live with joy. We spent an entire summer walking through the book of Philippians. And over and over again this past summer, I talked about joy and rejoicing, joy and rejoicing. And I'm here to tell you, people ought to look at you and go, I know you're an idiot. I know you've made plenty of mistakes. I, I, I'm, I've been around you. But I also see there's a freedom there's a joy in your life. There's something in you that I, I don't get, but man, I want that, I long for that. If you do that, it'll transform you. I promise you, do that every day for the next 50 days, and it'll transform the way you think about God and about yourself. Own it, humble yourself, and celebrate his grace. We're gonna take some time this morning to finish with communion. And I'm gonna ask you, and this is very important, listen to me. I know the Seahawks don't even play for an hour and a half. And I just finished about 30 minutes in this talk, so I was well within time. And I'm gonna ask you not to, you know, go ahead, set your stuff down, but don't pick up your purse, don't pick up your, you know, your phone, don't check out right now. Because the next 10 minutes could change your life. Because here's what I want you to do. We're gonna share communion together. There's nine different ta uh, tables, stations all around the room. In fact, the small table already has gluten-free. But what I want to ask you to do this morning is to put into practice what we just talked about in communion. What does that mean? Well, first thing I'm gonna ask you to do is when you come to the table, uh, don't down communion like you're down in a shot, okay? I mean, that may sound a little sacrilegious, but my point is, don't just, it's not just, just don't go through the motions, guys. It's okay, we got nine stations. I don't care if there's a line. We got, we have two songs, 10 minutes, nine different places for people to go to. You'll be fine. Go to the communion table and take a, a moment 
Take five, 10, 15 seconds. It'll feel maybe longer than that, but take that time. And here's what I want you to do. Come to your senses. Own it if you've blown it. Humble yourself and then celebrate. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Paul instructs the church in Corinth. says, you know, don't take communion in an unworthy manner. Now, by the way, he wasn't saying you have to be perfect because if that was the case, I would never be able to take communion. He wasn't encouraging navel gazing. Oh boy, what have I done? I'm sure I've done something. I must figure out what I've done. That's not the point. The point is just come and do exactly what we talked about this morning. Come humbly to God. Come acknowledging your need for him. Come acknowledging the fact that you failed this week. And in your hands you hold a cracker which is symbolic of the body of Christ broken for you. And you hold a couple grape juice which is symbolic of his blood shed, listen, for the remission of your sins. And celebrate that this morning. Take a moment, do not rush through this. Take a moment and take that cup in your hands and say, oh God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me, I have failed. You know I've sinned, you know my life better than I know my own life. I know I've blown it this week and yet God, I come to you right now humbly and I thank you that I am forgiven, that I am yours, that you have given me this opportunity to celebrate, to celebrate what you did for me on that cross. Make this a moment for you that seals what we've talked about this morning in your heart. Let's stand together. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads right now as I pray. Would you just uh, take a moment, just go ahead and bow your heads and let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross for us that makes this moment right here, right now possible. That we are able to come and, and remember you and to celebrate your death and resurrection because, Lord, you made this possible for us by your grace and your mercy. And I pray, God, that we would come and reflect this morning on your goodness, that we would humble ourselves, that we would own our stuff, but then, God, that most importantly, we'd leave here today celebrating you, celebrating what you've done for us, and that that would fill our hearts with joy, that your mercy, God, would just fill us with, with this deep peace, that, that some of us, Lord, have been living under this cloud of guilt and shame, and we've been living under this condemnation that we'd realize that it's true. The word says there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in you, in Christ Jesus. And that we would celebrate that reality this morning as we take communion together. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. And please just offer some privacy to people right now. Just bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet begun your life as a Christ follower. Every week, three, four, five, six people, we've got about 20 people in the last month have picked up New Believers Pack and said, yep, I'm in, I'm gonna walk with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you know it's time, you get it. I need to own my stuff. I need to confess my sin. I need to come to the Father. I need His forgiveness, I need His mercy. And you're ready. We're never gonna manipulate you, force you, embarrass you, but if you know that's you, you know in your heart. The Holy Spirit has already begun working in you and said, and right now your heart's beating about a thousand miles an hour because you know I'm talking to you and that this is an invitation to you by God himself. He's inviting you to come home. And if that's you and that's what you want, I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment. And I'm gonna ask you to make this prayer, make it your own words, but to make my simple prayer your prayer. But I'm also gonna invite you today to do something, is to take communion this morning, maybe for the first time, as a follower, as a lover of Jesus, as a disciple of his. And then I'm gonna ask you to make this prayer yours and I'm gonna ask you to, as you take communion, to seal the deal by remembering what he did for you. And you may have taken communion as a kid or in a Catholic church or someplace else, but today this will be the first time you really do it as a son or a daughter of the King.
If that's you and you want to do that, let me pray for you right now. Make this prayer yours. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. I get it. I need a Savior. And Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross for my sin. I own it. I confess to you. I need you. I need grace. I need mercy. I need a Savior. And so I humble myself before you right now. And right here, right now, in this moment, I'm choosing to say yes to you. I'm choosing to follow you. I'm choosing to surrender my life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for already choosing me. Now, if that's you, and that's what you want, just make that prayer yours. And the Bible says that instant you say yes to him. You're his kid. Again, it's the beginning of the journey. It's not the finish line. And there's a lot of work God's going to do in you and through you. But that new person now, that new identity is yours. You are son. You are daughter of God's. Lord, thank you for those making that decision right here, right now. Seal that in their hearts and make it clear. They take communion today that this deal is done for them, that the penalty for their sin is paid in full. Thank you, Lord. But help all of us to surrender and to say that today with joy. I pray it in your name. Amen. There's a couple different ways. Some of the cups are, are uh, sealed. You can just peel it back. There's double cup, double stacked breads in the lower cup, juices on top. Again, over that small table there's gluten-free. We want to encourage you. Take your time. We've got about 10 minutes, a couple of songs. Let's worship together. Take a minute. I'll go back and wrap it up. Well, this is Abby. About 10 years from now, she's probably not going to be too excited about this moment. She's a little shy. But you know what? No matter what she does, no matter what, I'm always going to love her. She's always going to be my granddaughter. And that's God's heart towards you. He loves you. No matter what, He just wants you to come, own it, confess, humble yourself, and then celebrate in His love. Today, if you begin your life as a Christ follower, I want to encourage you to let somebody know, let me know. We want to walk in this journey with you. On the tables by the doors, there's a gift bag, it's got a Bible, so we're starting to walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. Next time we run first steps, go to it. Next time we do water baptism, get baptized in water. It's a part of the journey for you. There's a, on this table as well, there's more of the Halloween invites. Take those, give them away. Uh, if you, this week, start. they start this week, get involved in a life group, transform life group. So you can go and be a part of what God's doing in our community as well. If you need prayer, pray to me, but down front, but here's my prayer for you this week. I pray that you'll go, knowing that you're loved, knowing that the transforming work of God's heart and love for you will change the way you think, it'll change the way you live. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here. Can you say bye-bye, Abby? Bye-bye. <laughs>